Good morning. Okay, here we go. We're going to test everyone out. How are, how's this section doing? Okay. How about you guys? How are we doing? Pretty lame. How's this side? We have a winner. That's cool. Consolation, you guys are the best dressed. Okay? Best dressed center group. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, good morning. My name's Darren. I'm one of the pastors. Um, I want to, hey, pull this out. You're sitting on it, or it's uh, piled up on one of the chairs. It's called Empowered. Um, five years ago, I went to London on a trip to India, and I met this church called St. Mary's, met some pastors and friends there that were ministering to, in central London. Um, they, I don't know if you know, but London in the UK is pretty desolate, doesn't have a lot of believers, and uh, especially London. But this church that we met built a church of over 3,000 people um, by introducing people that were uh, anti-Christian, atheists, and people that were very hostile to God. And they would introduce them to Jesus, invite them uh, to experience the Holy Spirit. They would be filled with the Holy Spirit. They would do all the stuff that you see in Acts, speak in tongues, prophesy, heal, all of this stuff. And they built a church of over 3,000 people off of that of going to a very secular society and teaching people the ways of Jesus. They do it in a very non-mystical way. It's very ordinary, very normal. And it was amazing. I went there with a background that said the Holy Spirit is, is, you know, he's part of God, I guess, but he's not very active. Um, I actually grew up thinking that he, that stuff died with the apostles. It's a cessation theology. Anyways, went there, had my world rocked. Someone said, you're going to plant a church. Later, I heard God say, plant a church in Long Beach. Five years later, we're here. Um, also, though, last year, we brought these guys out because I uh, have grown. I've been mentored by this church. Um, John Peters, who's coming, he'll be teaching next weekend here. But on um, Friday and Saturday, we have a group of people coming to simply have a conversation with our church about what it means to practice and model and live empowered by the Holy Spirit in the everyday, ordinary sense. How do we, as the church, we're going to talk about this today, live empowered by the Holy Spirit? And uh, so we're going to have uh, a few ses- sessions, but I want to overemphasize this. If you didn't go last year um, and you missed out, this changed our church for the better. If you have work, cancel it Saturday, Friday night and Saturday. If you have stuff going on, get the babysitters. We're going to come together. If you want to get into our community, this is the bl- best place to figure out what it's about. It's going to be an amazing time. So that said, come to Empowered. It's at Long Beach Christian Fellowship. Who's coming? All right, yeah, good. Awesome. Um, last week, I was supposed to teach, um, and uh, Bill did an exceptional job. Uh, last week, my wife was rushed to the ER, and three and a half years ago, uh, my wife was rushed to the ER for the first time, and she was diagnosed with an unknown heart condition. Um, and it sent us for four months searching after doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist, holistic doctor, chiropractic, diet change, everything that you can imagine to try to figure out what was going on. Um, and it was a very intense time. We moved here three years ago during that season, because during that season, we heard God say, clearly moved to Long Beach. And clearly, clearly say to both of us, plant this church, the garden, although it wasn't called that then. Um, and and we, we came here in the midst of that. But when we moved here, the symptoms that put her in the hospital went away. And for the last three and a half years, we lived, basically she lived without any of those symptoms until last Tuesday. 
last Tuesday, she was uh, rushed to the ER um, and, and kind of thrown back into the loop of an undiagnosed, but more of a diagnosis now, heart condition. Um, it's, it's not that serious. It is, uh, it changes your life. And so I just wanted to say thank you so much for all of your prayers, um, for all of your support. And I got emails and, and we got Facebook, we got dinners and all of that stuff. But I, I really wanted to say first, uh, thank you so much for being a church that's willing to simply embrace all that life has. That we don't have to pretend on Sunday. That we don't have to come in with a smile. But that many of us are, are, are suffering right now. Um, and, and, and I as a pastor, in, in, I'm standing um, frustrated and, and, uh, and, and knowing that God is good, but frustrated when he doesn't answer prayers. And Bill's message was amazing last week, and it really helped me kind of process what's going on. And I was ministered to here, um, but, you know, I, I want to say uh, thank you for being a church that's journeying together. My wife, we're, can, we're praying through what the next few state, steps look like, but I just want to share my thanks on behalf of my family. But as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus, I, I stand with all of us in this tension, in this tension that we live in this kingdom of God reality. And it's a now and not yet reality. Now being the fact that God is bursting in everyday life with beauty, with hope, with joy, with healing, with justice, with righteousness, with all the things of the resurrection life bursting forth and we see it, we experience it, I've witnessed it, I've participated in it, I've seen blind people heal, I've seen deaf children listen for the first time, I've seen all of that, I've seen answered prayers, I've seen, I've seen marriages that should no, in no way be restored, restored. Those are some real miracles, I've seen that, but we also stand in the tension of the not yet kingdom of God that I have a sick wife and we pray for healing but God sometimes doesn't answer those prayers. Those of us that live with life-threatening diseases and diagnosis, we get this tension. We feel it when we look and see poverty around the world. We see people sleeping on the streets. We see hunger. We see injustice. We see death. We see sickness. We recognize that there is still a prayer to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today, and so for many of us, we sit in this tension of faith, this journey of trying to figure out what that means. When some prayers are, answers, are answered and others are not, when we live in this world, how do, we, how do we stand, as Bill would say, how do we stand in the reality? How do we live, in, live out our faith in the everyday moments of our life when everything's coming against us? So I just wanted to be open with you. I'm not going to teach on Mark. I did write a really good message for you this morning. Um, I woke up really early to, early to prepare and just felt that that wasn't appropriate for this time as we move into the Holy Spirit Conference next, next week. So instead, I want to share uh, something I'm passionate about and remind us of our story as a church, of what we're all about, and remind us what the early church was all about. So grab a Bible. Go to Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles around the side, they're green Bibles. If you don't have one at home, please take it. It's our gift to you. Um, we'd love everyone to have the word. I don't know if we'll have it on the screen. There's quite a bit of text we're going to read through. I'm going to give us an overview of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You guys with me? All right. Super Bowl is next Sunday. Make sure you guys are here in the morning, Okay. I'm not coming early if you're not. I'm telling you right now. Just kidding. 
Um, God delights in using ordinary people in extraordinary ways. God delights in using ordinary, everyday people for extraordinary things. I would say that part of the story of the New Testament is recognizing that God is simply, in fact, looking at the entire Bible, God is simply looking for people that are open to say yes to what he asks. You could say that the story of the garden, uh, Billy said this, is, is just a bunch of people saying yes all the time to what God's up to. And we see that, that God delights in using the ordinary to do extraordinary in the story of Acts. So Acts chapter 1, um, we're just going to breeze through the first eight chapters real fast. I want to tell you the story. So Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Um, he goes and he's with his followers and he teaches on the kingdom of God. It says that in verse 3. And then in, in chapter 8, I'm sorry, in verse 8, he, he's about to ascend into heaven and he's kind of giving his last words to his followers. There's about 120 of them at this time. I want to put this out. After three and a half years of ministry, Jesus had 120 followers. But he says this to them. He says, uh, as before he, he departs, he says, but you will, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you ever want to know what the mission statement of the church is, it's ch chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts. Everyone that will say yes to Jesus is called to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to live as witnesses in their, in their neighborhoods, in their cities, in their, their counties in Southern California, and so on and so forth, to the ends of the earth. He tells his church to wait in Jerusalem, his followers, you will receive the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and when you receive the Holy Spirit, then, only then, will you be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now it's fascinating because it's not just that. What Luke is doing in this text is he's, he's explaining that the gospel is designed to be spread by everyone that will say yes to, to Jesus. When he says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, he's not just saying regions, although that's part of it, but to, to couple Judea and Samaria is like saying the gospel will go or you will be witnesses to Al-Qaeda and the Tea Party. You will be witnesses to KKK and the Black Panthers. You will be witnesses to those people, the types of social groups that absolutely despise each other. That's what has to happen when you're full of the Holy Spirit. That it goes where it, it breaks down boundaries. That's the call for every single person that says yes to Jesus. So the mission, Jesus says, is to wait in Jerusalem. You'll receive the Spirit. Then you'll be witnesses to all those places and eventually to the ends of the earth. So what happens? Acts chapter 2. Flip over. Acts chapter 2. There the 120 are in an upper room praying, waiting on God. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls and fills, them with, uh, fills all of them individually. And they begin to speak in known languages and people hear it and they're like, what's going on? They must be drunk on wine. And, and Peter says, no, we're drunk on the Holy Spirit. We're full of the Holy Spirit. He preaches the first message on a Sunday morning and 3,000 people are saved. 3,000 people are baptized and believe in Jesus Christ. The Spirit comes and people believe. The story goes on though. In chapter 3, G Peter is just walking to the temple. This is what he would normally do. He's going into the temple. He sees a beggar begging for money. He says, what, I don't have any money to give, but what I give, I give freely. And he says to the guy who's crippled, stand up. The guy stands. 
people are shocked that this ordinary guy just caused this guy to heal. He's not Jesus. He's a Jesus follower. Chapter 3, he begins to preach the resurrection. Chapter 4 of Acts, the Sanhedrin. These are the religious elite in, the Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. They were responsible for the financial, the political, and religious uh, system of its day. They were the PhDs of the Jewish religion. They grab them and they start telling them to stop talking about that. Now no, notice this. John and Peter argue back. And notice what these guys say about John and Peter. Verse 13 in chapter 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Spirit comes, it fills the church. They begin to do the things that Jesus told them to do. They get caught up in the, the Jewish system. They're confronted and they don't back down. They say, this is what's happened. You killed the Messiah. He's resurrected from the dead. And they're, they're fascinated by their ability to argue back with the PhDs of religion. And they say that they're ordinary, unschooled men, but they take note that they had been with Jesus. Do you remember when we started in Mark chapter 3? Jesus calls his disciples. You can go there. Mark chapter 3. What does Jesus do with his disciples? He calls them to what? To be with him. And to be sent out to proclaim the good news. And to cast out demons and heal the sick. What is John and Peter doing in chapter 4 of Acts? They're doing the stuff that he told them to do. But they took note that they had been, he, John and Peter had been with Jesus. You with me? Ordinary everyday people doing extraordinary things. The story continues. People lie about their tithe and they get killed by God. Love that as a church planner. Um, just kidding. Ha ha. Um, I'm not kidding. No, I'm kidding. Um, if you're new with us, that doesn't happen very often. But um, apostles are per persecuted. But here's what's going on. It, it keeps describing the church is growing and growing and growing. And then Acts chapter 6, they run into a problem. Read this, chapter 1, or verse 1, excuse me. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained that the Hebraic Jews, because, uh, because their widows were overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who are really good at potlucks. Nope. Who are really good at administration. Nope. Who are full of the spirit and wisdom. And, they will, they, and we will turn our responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. Early, early church explodes and they have a problem. Too many people coming, not enough help. It's very common. We need more volunteers. Children's ministry, that's what we do all the time. Set up, that happens. But in this particular case, they, they don't look for those that are best at, at distributing food to the old people or who are really passionate for the older people in the community. What was going on is that the church began to pile its resources together and they recognized that there are people in our community, our friends, our brothers and sisters, that don't have enough to eat. So as a church, we come together and we take care of those needs. But while they're doing that, the apostles were bogged down, so they had to delegate some of their responsibility. They don't delegate to the administrative assistants. They delegate to people full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. 
for this administrative task. Think about what this task is. They're passing out food to old people. Do you find this funny at all? So check out what happens in the story. You continue to read. They select seven guys to do this task of passing out, of setting up the potlucks every week. We'll just say it. It's the potluck associate. I love that idea. It's the job title. You can email our potluck associate on the website. So here they are. Doing the, uh, they, they select seven men to do this task. And they list the name. Two of the guys are Philip and Stephen. Now check out chapter 7. Chapter 7 goes on. And this potluck associate, Stephen, begins to, have, begins to preach the gospel. He performs signs and wonders. He has miraculous signs. And people take note. And he's caught up in the Sanhedrin court again. He's questioned. He stands before the court. He, he argues the resurrected Messiah. They can't do anything. He points to them and said, You... You crucified the Messiah. They pick up stones and they begin to stone Stephen, a potluck associate, an administrative assistant, not an apostle, an ordinary guy. They stone him and as he's being stoned, he says, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. This administrative assistant, this potluck associate becomes the first Christian martyr. He's full of the Holy Spirit and he stands before the highest court and proclaims Christ and dies. And while he's dying, he has the audacity to say what Jesus would say, don't hold this against them. Does anybody recognize that the more you follow Jesus, the more forgiveness becomes your common vocabulary? This is a side note. How many of us have made, literally are holding on to lists of all the people that have harmed us? How many of us are literally living in a world of bitterness, of retaliation, of vengeance, where we've defined ourselves by the people that have harmed us? When you come to faith, when you begin to walk with Jesus, forgiveness becomes your vocabulary. We must learn to, be for, we must learn to forgive. Anyways, the side point. Let's continue forward. So, here's kind of a summary. Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, you guys got to go. Be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But up until this point, chapter 7, the message of Jesus remains in Jerusalem. Thousands of people are coming to faith. Churches are growing like crazy. I mean, they have over 5,000 people in Jerusalem alone coming to this church. I mean, people are donating, their, their, they're selling their properties and laying it at the disciples' feet. I mean, it's epic. It would just be just this massive movement. But guess what? They're not fulfilling the mission. They're not taking the commission seriously to go to the ends of the earth. Persecution breaks out. Chapter 8. Verse 1, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The church begins to spread to those key words, Judea and Samaria. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This word preached has to do with sharing your faith. It has to do with witnessing. It's not standing on a soapbox telling people about the resurrection of Jesus. It's simply sharing how you've encountered the resurrected, resurrected Jesus. Does that make sense? Because there's a difference. It continues on. But Philip, potluck associate from chapter 6, um, 
uh, sorry, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Philip goes down to a city in Samaria, a city that Jesus just so happened to uh, mention, and he proclaimed the Messiah. The word proclaimed comes from this understanding of, of, of a herald. It's, the idea comes from a military battle. When, when you'd have a military victory, a, a, a messenger would come in, sound the horn, and announce to all the people a victory of the emperor. It's a title. He's no longer the potluck associate. He's a heralder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was once waiting tables. Now he's going to cities in Samaria and the entire city is rejoicing because this one guy showed up to this one city with open hands and did what Jesus did there. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem and all the ordinary folk scattered and filled and, and, and fulfilled the mission. Are you catching this? So here's what I would do in this situation. The city is full of joy. I would set up shop. I would build a bigger church. I would, I would get to know the politicians. I'd be well known in that particular city. Does anyone else have that type of heart? Just, yeah, you just, this whole city is in, in uproar because you brought the message. You're, you're the good news, right? But that's not what Philip does. Maybe that's me because I'm a pastor and I work at a church. None of us struggle with that. That's not what Philip does. Let's go, let's, let's finish the story. Verse 26. Philip's in Samaria. But now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury. This man, skip down, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture he was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, as he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began to speak about that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of being baptized? So the story begins in Jerusalem and it stays in Jerusalem and then it's faced with persecution and it's the potluck associates, it's the everyday ordinary mom and dad that go out and begin to fulfill the commission of being witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Philip happens to go to Samaria. The entire city is full of joy, but he's not done yet. His hands are open and God tells him to go to the desert road. Go to where you've had success in a great city is full of joy to a desert place. 
and wait. And he goes and he happens to discover an Ethiopian who's a God-fearing uh, uh, Gentile Jew. That means he lives in Ethiopia working for the officials, working for the financial system in Ethiopia, traveling what would be from Jerusalem to modern-day Sudan. Thousand-mile trek. He goes to Jerusalem to worship during the Passover. Okay? This is 50 days after the Pentecost later. He's coming to worship. But remember what Bill talked about last week? He goes to the temple as a Gentile. He's not a full-blood Jew. He goes to the temple where he can only go to the first court, the court of the Gentiles. There's the court of the women, then the court of the Jewish men, and then the holiest of holies. He goes to where he can only worship halfway to honor God that he doesn't know fully. And on his way back, he encounters, on his way back to Ethiopia, he encounters Philip who's open, with the, open to God, full of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about Isaiah. He points to some water, baptize me. He gets baptized and he heads back home to Ethiopia. Now, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Philip begins in Samaria. And then what's this story about with the Ethiopian eunuch? I've mentioned this before. Philip was just a potluck associate doing what God asked him. Ethiopia in first century Rome was considered modern day. The nickname in the, during that time was the ends of the earth. Do you catch what's going on in the story? The apostles stayed and everyone else fulfilled the mission. And now a guy going to the ends of the earth is headed home, baptized and full of the Holy Spirit. It's a cool story, huh? It's a really cool story. It is. This section, you guys are loud, yes? I mean, the story is the same today as it was then. I just wonder how many of us have just become so content and complacent with our lives. We're students studying to be something, but we don't live fully filled and empowered, living on mission in our ordinariness. Some of us are called to leave our businesses behind and go to Africa and serve as missionaries. All of us are called to live as missionaries here and now. All of us are called to live in a posture that can listen to the Holy Spirit say to us, go to that desert place and simply wait because what it means to follow Jesus is to be obedient in faith. Some of us have become comfortable with these white picket fence dreams and we need to murder those things. This story is the same today. I I love this story because I see it all the time. Uh, The story of the community garden, for me, is is just the epitome of this type of story. John from our church comes to me. I don't know him from anywhere. He says, "I I feel like God's asking me to start a community garden. Great, good luck with that. He goes looking for empty spots of land in Long Beach. Calls different places, finds this one place, tells the vision to this woman. The woman goes, I'll give you, I'll give you this place, 7,000 square feet for a dollar a month for three years. 36 bucks for that space on 5th and Cerritos. We build a community garden because someone just said yes to a crazy idea like that. Now since we've bought it or since we've rented it, they're like, it's like indefinite, seven plus years having that space on 5th and Cerritos. Hundreds of pounds of produce given. People have come to faith. We've done two Halloween events. I mean, you can't even describe the ministry all because one guy was faithful enough to make some phone calls and say yes to some crazy dream. He's not a gardener. I mean, he's become that. He had no idea what he was doing. That's, that's just one guy. 
There's so many stories. How about this story? This is one of my favorites. It's, it's just recognizing that God calls us to do ordinary things full of the Holy Spirit. One family became foster parents in our church. And two weeks ago, I got to sit in the courtroom as this one child given to this family when he was two weeks old was handed over to them with the name Baby Boy Doe. Handed over to the state. And I sat in the courtroom bawling my eyes out as the judge said, his name shall henceforth be Jonathan Bradley Beanie. Adoption. Boom. Sealed. What does living in the kingdom of God look like? What does it mean to live extraordinary lives? It looks like adopting, adopting orphans. Simply. Simple. It's that simple. It looks like house moms, housewives, stay-at-home moms, living intentionally in their everyday rhythms of life. What does it look like to be full of the Holy Spirit, looking for what God wants you to do as your child plays in the playground? I mean, seriously, that's how, seri- that's how simple this stuff is. It is about going to Africa, but it's about living every day full of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me on this? I mean, because for me, this is where it gets serious. It's like, could you imagine if 120 people could in 300 years have over 50 million Christians in, a, in an oppressive empire? What we could do with the technology, with the freedom, the education, with the infrastructure, with people full of the Holy Spirit, willing to risk now? We have way more than 120 people here. I'm waiting for the next community garden. Who's going to have the next thing? I mean, who, who's going to listen to God at the garden and do it with us? You know what I'm talking about? I guess I'm just trying to remind us of what this whole church is about. See, for me, I look towards the future, and it's great to have a full room. This room is not big enough for what God wants to do. Amen? If it's about showing up on Sunday, then we fail dramatically. If we're not evangelizing at the dinner table with strangers that people would have hung, Jesus would have hung out with, we fail as followers of Jesus. If we're not able to have a prayer and a word of encouragement for someone in a desperate moment that doesn't know Jesus, then we fail miserably. If we're not willing to look at our finances in a way that's not ours, but in a way that's stewarding God's, then we fail dramatically. We have our whole lives to steward and not that much time. Things can change overnight. How are you going to live right now on mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit? As a church, we're trying to get a building on Fifth and Pine. Not because we want a bigger ba- building, although we need space for children, because I'll, I'll do that before this. But we need a place to be a community center. A place that would be stable for a transient city. A place that would be willing to put their foot down and say, let's take downtown for Christ. Because there hasn't been any, any church plants in the last 40 years in downtown. A place where followers of Jesus can, can do mentoring for schools, or we can do arts, uh, education, and a venue for the artists of our community, or we can, where we can um, reinvigorate the city downtown. We can bring business. I mean, everything that we can possibly do. Have a community center downtown Long Beach, parking included, no need to validate. That's what's being handed to us right now, by the way. That's totally a God thing. I would never be searching after that. That's God throwing it in our lap, saying, take the promised land, but you've got to fight for it. 
But for me, I don't want to go there unless the people of God get what we're talking about. You with me on that? Cool. Let me finish with this. Um, next week, we are going to have uh, John and, and Chris and that whole team here. And I want to encourage all of us with just this idea. It doesn't have to be tons of expectation. It just has to be openness. All we have to do is live with our hands open and willing to follow Jesus wherever he, wherever he wants us. I was 22 and God said, plant a church. But by the time I was 24, we were planting the church here. I, I look around the room and there's a bunch of 20-somethings, there's 30-somethings, there's 40-somethings, there's 50-somethings, there's 60, 70, some of you. God bless all of us. The thing about the Holy Spirit is he doesn't care how old you are or what gender you are, but he wants to use you right now for extraordinary things. What is it that you're sitting on? I look at my friends that leave everything to go and, and, and serve on mission for only a few months to come back to debt because they lived on mission and to rent out their home so that they, they can get out of debt so that they can be freed up to be generous and serve on mission. I look at my friend Billy, who's our youth guy, who came here with this passion to uh, plant a church. So I made him set up sound system every week. And I made him set up chairs. And he just kept growing and growing after that. And now he's leading our youth. But his, he has a passion for the youth. And all of a sudden, he's helping spearhead and, and engineer and dream and vision about young life starting in Long Beach. I don't know, know if you know the ministry of Young Life, but they basically, they go after those that don't know Jesus, the youth in the city. And there's not a Young Life in Long Beach, half a million people in the city. Not a Young Life. And Billy's been preaching at high school, and he's starting a youth ministry, and he's saying, look, 75% of all youth ministries, or, or 75% of all kids that grow up in, in church, leave their faith by the time they're 18. How do we do it differently? And he's got a whole group of people passionate about youth. He's living it out. He's living out. I have a friend who, who thought, there's no way on this earth I could start a gym. That's my calling. That's my passion. I want to create a space for people to come and find community and get healthy. And he did it in January. And not only that, he, he met all of his goals to be sustainable this month. We've we got to take risks. We've got to go for it. Amen. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Let's stand together. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Thanks for uh, being here this morning. Okay, so uh, if you're new with us, we do a response time and what we call ministry time. So I hope you guys don't leave early because most of you guys show up late anyways. So we do start at 11, just so you know. <coughs> Not 11.15. Uh, you know, on a, on a funny note, if I invited strangers over to my house and didn't show up till, I, till they showed up, wouldn't that be awkward? I can tell the new people in our church because they're here on time. I just got to say, what's going on? <laughs> anyways, anyways. Don't tell me the parking. Uh, so if you are new, we like to play around, but we like to give space for the Holy Spirit to minister. And w with that, it's, it's nothing weird or awkward. It's simply giving God space. So we wait. So I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. We're going to have some music. I'm going to guide us in some prayer. I might call people forward, but if you want to just close your eyes, God's stirring already. He's here. And if you're comfortable holding your hands out, uh, we hold our hands out like this. It's just a posture of saying, I, I want to receive. 
I'm open. Just close your eyes and wherever you are, just invite the Holy Spirit to say, fill me. Ephesians talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit and the language Paul Paul uses is be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Just continue to be filled. It's not a once once and for all thing. It's constantly being filled by the Spirit. Some of you, this message hits you right in your heart and you just go with it. Allow the Spirit to minister. Let's just wait for a little bit.